This podcast is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. A big thank you goes out to Adnan Isel, owner of Isellers Estate Winery. You can visit them at 615 Concession 5 Road in Niagara-on-the-Lake, or check out their website at isellers.ca. Find out how you can support us, like Adnan, by visiting patreon.com slash twoguystalkingwine. You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Hello, Michael. Andre. You know, it's funny that we've been uh, tasting through all this Pinot and Chard, uh, like with Thomas and with, with Grant, and you keep introducing each podcast about the fact that I have a huge Chardonnay boner. But I, I think the the secret is... I think you is... get wet when you see a bottle of Chardonnay. I'm 100%... If yeah, that may be I the case. I, I was wet. really more looking forward to having a chance to taste this much top shelf Pinot because the reality is I don't usually have enough money kicking around to buy this much top shelf Pinot. So it's been a real treat over the past few weeks, and I'm really thankful to Carolyn and Grant and to Thomas for uh, sharing their wines with us. I thought Casey was great too. And speaking of, let's uh, this time we are. Uh, going to be on the horn with uh, Casey and Carolyn, so that's Grant's other half, or better half. It's sort of hard to know where to where to start, but we've been really fortunate over the past few weeks to have a chance to taste through some really great Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, and uh, we've landed back on Pinot this week. Yes, we are. We are in the the realm of Pinot. Uh, no Thomas this time, but in fact. We've got some really exciting wines from Westcott. I know we did Chardonnay with them last time. So, Andre, I know that you were very, very excited by that. I think I'm a little more excited by the Pinot. I know you keep, you keep saying that, but I've just been drinking so much Pinot lately. Like, once again, going back to the Picard piece that I've been, I, I have on my website and the follow-up with it. It's just uh, yesterday, before we recorded this podcast, I was talking to Anya and saying that Right now, I'm just craving Pinot Noir. Well, it's because Chardonnay is already in your back pocket, so you're trying to branch out, which is nice to see. <laughs> Shut up, Michael. <laughs> so this the week, voices we're... you are about to hear, Casey and uh, Carolyn from Westcott. How are you guys today? We are well. How are you? Good. And before we started recording, um, Carolyn, you were talking about one being tired, but two about the weather breaking, uh, and I know you guys, I think, were out there in the vineyard today finally taking off the uh, the blankets. The thermal blankets, uh, yes. we. Uh, so we, we had taken some of them off um, a little previous. We've got about a third of our vineyard now is uh, under thermal blanket. You know, as, as you know, we're right on the top of the escarpment and so we're susceptible to some uh some some of the colder weather for the the west you know the west bench kind of area of niagara uh so they the blankets have worked unbelievably well garrett uh westcott our vineyard manager uh, has been just over the moon in terms of the outcomes from that uh, we got a lot of good advice from Shauna White up at uh, Adamo, and uh, and Casey and uh, and Garrett have been peeling some of them back. And I think I, I saw Gar- I saw Grant leaving a few minutes ago. I'm pretty sure he was taking some pictures of those lines because because they're out. The yeah. uh, the ones uh, in the 76 block are uh, the they're they're leafing. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, they're uh, they're moving and grooving. They definitely did their job, and we're we're already running with the uh, the wolves here. So it's yeah, it's it's really exciting for sure. And uh, so, so spring, spring is supposedly here now. Finally, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's I'm looking out at a gray, wet vineyard, but <laughs> at least it's above freezing. So we'll take it. We'll yeah, take we were, it. We we finally left our plants out, or we're going to leave our plants out tonight and see if they yeah. survive. Yeah. Think you, I think you should be okay. I've got all my seedlings for the uh, kitchen garden. They're all, they're all inside here. I think I'll take them out tomorrow. But so we've been, you know, we've been up a lot in the last uh, five days with these, uh, you know, minus one, minus two temperatures in the forecast. So we uh, on our Butler's Grant Vineyard, we were 
lighting bonfires. Uh, we don't have uh, wind machines there for the the heat inversion, um, and they it, it, they were very, they were all very still nights, which is uh, which is good for us because we can't run the wind machines when um, when there's too much wind, and so that that all came out okay. So oh, you know, a knock on wood. Um, kind of a bit of an irony about wind machines, eh? Can't run the wind machines when it's windy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we're we're good. We're we're just we just just need a couple nights of regular sleep, and we'll be right back at it. That's great. Yeah. So, uh, Andre, you have any questions before we begin uh, doing a little Pinot tasting? No, I I, I already dived into the, the 2016. Um, <laughs> And I, I'm sure my questions will come will come later, but it's really interesting to be able to taste uh, really crazy hot summer next to more kind of typical summer side by side. Because I, I think a lot of people in, especially people who are close to the Ontario wine industry, are in, are in a bad habit of just saying that 2016 or 2007 or 2010 were good years as opposed to hot years. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's a really interesting point, uh, Andre. That um, you know, what's what's necessarily when they when they say that it's a good year for for grapes in Niagara, that's it's that's too broad a statement. I think you know we're we're very 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 focused, as you know, on Pinot and Chard, and Pinot. You know what's a great year for Pinot is not necessarily the same for other grape varietals, and we like, uh, you know, we we like a, a longer ripening in in the fall. We like we don't mind if it's a little coolish, you know, and a bit of rain in the during the summer. Um, so you know, there it's I don't think I don't think it's it's safe to say what a what a perfect growing year is. And I, and I also think that you got to throw it over to the winemaker that, you know, between Casey as winemaker and Garrett as the vineyard manager, that they're working through what the season is, is throwing at us and always with the eye to what's the best possible Pinot Noir that we can make out of this season and uh, making calls in the vineyard month by month as uh, as things are evolving and well, it's interesting that you the description of of the vintages that you were talking about because 17 actually fits the bill that you wanted kind of cool and and wet and rainy through the uh through the summer uh and then a very long dry dry fall and that's exactly yes. what you what you wanted whereas 16 was just just hot yeah yeah 16 was you had to wrestle with you know the the fruit ripening uh you know relatively early and could you leave it hanging you didn't want you know we don't want it to get overripe um we're try we're always balancing the the acidity you know we're, we don't just pick for ripeness at, at westcott we're very very focused on uh the phenols and also on the acidity right so trying to find that perfect balance and then the other challenge for us is that different sections of our vineyards uh, ripen at different at different times. So we're, we pick by block um, and by hand, and in order to uh, in order to get that optimal balance that we're looking for. So, yeah, the 16 that we're that we're tasting first, I think, is uh, you know it's just a it's a beautiful it's just a gorgeous Pinot. Um, and and it's it's drinking very nicely right now. It's a very soft, supple, silky on the on the finish. The fruit is still nice and uh, nice and fresh. But uh, I I just you know I think it's a beautiful beautiful wine. That one that one got a one uh, got a lot of attention from decanter in uh, in the UK. And uh, actually, they they sold out of their allotment. Our our distributor over there, uh, because they like their burgundies in uh, in the UK, and uh, I think that this this particular vintage reminds them of of some of their favorite burgundies. 
Uh, Casey, what do you have to tell us about uh, about the making of this particular Pinot? Yeah, so uh, 16, just to, to, to kind of reiterate what Carolyn said, you know, when you when you pick, we're, we're picking based on, on flavor and acidity and balance. And, you know, that's where oftentimes, um, you know, site selection comes really uh, important and uh, just really having a hand in where we're coming from. So uh, this, this, this wine, something um, that we've implemented at Westcott and I, as a winemaker feels an incredible tool um, is the concept of whole cluster. So a good portion of this, about 30% was done um, whole cluster at the bottom of the tank, uh, fermented with wild yeast, um, wild mallow, and uh, you know, just, just really gentle extraction. Uh, the fruit here, um, from my experience thus far, doesn't like um, any sort of aggression. Pinot in general doesn't really enjoy aggression, but the fruit here in particular really leans to this very elegant feminine style and to try to kind of abuse it into something else doesn't work. So, um, you know, we're able to, to accomplish that fairly well. Everything's done in oak couve um, and, you know, we, we, we macerate conveniently because we do, you know, because of controlling the vineyard and the way that we're able to and having this hands-on very proactive approach working with all our own equipment you know the fruit is always very clean and it allows us a lot of liberties as a winemaker to be able to kind of execute some of the tasks we want to so we're we're really getting the opportunity to work with flavor and pursue the concept of the wine and not necessarily getting our hand forced um, by, you know, some uncleanliness or some things moving or going the wrong way. So, um, yeah, that's give or take the winemaking behind this. And it spent just under two years in all French oak. So first, second and third use on the on the barrels. We've been evolving in terms of the which barrels we're using. I think 16, we maybe had our first Sarugs. In that in that mix, yep. yeah. uh, we were we were deemed worthy to receive uh, Sarugs. We were interviewed and inspected, and they decided that they could release a couple of barrels to us, to our specifications. Uh, so uh, anyway, the the sixteen was the beginning of a of a few changes. Like Casey said, the, the, we did we did wild uh, wild ferment in a small in a small way in 15, just as a trial to see what our uh, native yeast would do. And uh, we were really, really pleased with that outcome. And so now we've, we've gone all in on uh, wild ferment. And then the, the filtration, I think, is the other, is the other discussion as we go from 16 to 17, um, you know, less and less filtration. Um, as, as part of our winemaking. So the, I'm, 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 I've moved on to the 17. I'm sure Andre's being very quiet, which means he's probably <laughs> bathing in the stuff right no, I'm now. Still, I'm still on the 16. I guess the one question I have about the 16 before we move on, I've noticed that the alcohol in both the 16 and the 17 are uh, stated at 12.5%. Now, when you were uh, dealing with the fruit in 2016, was it a challenge to hold on to that acidity and make a decision on when to harvest just because of how hot the summer was? Yes. Yes. The, the short answer is yes. Okay. Um, and, and, and good, good catch on the, on the alcohol. We, we are, that's the other, you know, part of, part of the reason that we don't want to let the sugar levels get up too high. It's not, not just balancing the fruit and the acidity. It's also, that we don't want we we don't want the alcohol to be overpowering and uh, in in a pinot, and so I think um, that it, that was part of the challenge in in sixteen. Uh, it's that's what's on the label. I'm you know it might be a tiny bit higher than that, but um, the uh, you know calibration on the machines is plus or minus. A, couple of points there so i'm i'm suspecting you want us to taste the 16 and the 17 uh side by side here in, in the estate which are which are both the same price 
and yeah. they are. Um, I'm going to assume they're both available now, or uh, are, are you sell, selling out of the 16 and moving into the 17? Yeah, we haven't released the 17 yet. Okay. Um, we're just giving you guys a preview of the of the 17. Uh, the 16 is there's still a uh, a bit of the 16 left in the store. The uh, from direct from the winery. Uh, we also sold a bit to the LCBO, so uh, into vintages. You know, for us, vintages is like 50 cases um, typically, and it, it goes on the shelf and then it's gone in 50 stores. Um, so when you see it, you got to buy it. The um, but the so the 17. I'm not sure when we'll be releasing that yet. We'll we we generally. Uh, we generally try to uh, only release the wines when, like one at one at a time. Uh, I think and I'm going to assume through Casey that it's kind of the this, the same kind of you know making method under two two years wild ferment. Yeah. Wild mallow. Very uh, different but, year. But less and less filtration, from what I understand. Less filtration. Yeah, we're moving to so by 19. You know, so each year we have uh, we've we've reduced the amount of filtration. So 17 is kind of the next level from 16 in terms of uh, filtration uh, to the to the point that and and the point that Casey was making earlier, I think, in terms of the cleanliness of the fruit and um, you know, I'll, I can let him talk about filtration and his philosophy on that, but. Uh, the the other thing is at at no time do we use pumps. We um, we don't. Uh, everything's by gravity. Um, we use we you know they've come up with a way to do a splash over instead of punch down. Uh, just every every little technique and incremental piece is around gentleness and treating the fruit with the utmost respect. And uh, gentle, 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 gentle is uh, is what we're working on here. And I know you were talking about uh, how you do the vineyard management where you're looking for phenolics above anything else and not necessarily um, numbers. But uh, for uh, 2017, um, sorry, did you use a whole cluster, do some whole cluster with the 2017 as well? We did. Yeah. Did did you have issues? Yeah. Did you did you was there a worry with making sure that your stems were ripe before you threw them into the into the yep. Uh, fermenters? Yep, absolutely. Good great great question. Uh, good catch. The uh, that's the that's the challenge uh, with whole cluster. Of course, is making sure that they are uh, they're brown that the pits are brown and the you know that every everything is ripe otherwise you get that green kind of bad herbaceous uh, stemmy yeah stemmy flavor that's a, that's a good adjective <laughs> and that's to be avoided at all costs so again picking by by that's when we pick by block we're out there checking for that level and i i would say 17 just in terms of that longer ripening, you know, 17 right now, I, I was just tasting it. And uh, to me, it's, we just opened the bottle. It's, uh, it's much tighter than the 16. There's a lot of, uh, you know, this, the 16 is, is just a little bit more relaxed. It's kind of uh, settled into itself. It's silky and smooth and elegant, all those things that we love in, in Westcott Pinots. Uh, the 17 is still a little bit tense. There's a, there's still the 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 fruit is fresh and bright and beautiful, and it and it's got layers and layers of of flavor, uh, but there's a tension still there that uh, you know it, it needs to relax in the bottle. So I've been I've been letting mine kind of open up in the glass and kind of unfold a bit, uh, and the promise is there. You know the the 17. With that long ripening, almost into the second week of October, we had we just those. That's when Pinot goes on its phenolic journey. You know the that 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 next level of uh, of of depth of character, um, and you know barrel by barrel when we're tasting through when things have been picked block by block, we're giving the winemaker 
uh, a palette to craft, uh, you know, to really craft something special. And I, the the seventeen is that way. Uh, I think that I think the nineteen is also. We've been we've been starting to to uh, see some pretty exciting things out of the nineteen, but um, this seventeen's got got so it in space. So you're skipping right over eighteen. You're like, don't even want to talk about it. No, 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 no. The 18th beautiful. 18th beautiful. I'm just uh, we're just talking about vintage and uh, and that 18 is stunning as well, but they're just different, I guess. Like they it, that's back to the original comment that we made around you got to you got to make the wine in the year that the year is providing, you know? So and and that's not a that's not a, a September decision or a, a December decision. That's a, an April decision. That's a May decision. That's a June decision. That's a July, August, September, and, and you know, decision in, in terms of what you're doing in the vineyard to, to pull out whatever you can out, out of a vintage. And they're, so they're just different. And uh, that, you know, trying to, Everybody always asks me what's my favorite year, right? They ask they ask me what's my favorite wine or what's my favorite year, and I say, well, that's like asking me who my favorite child is. And on and you any have one, but you don't want to tell anybody. <laughs> that's right. I have one. Of course, I have one. I yeah. always have a favorite child, but my favorite child oh. today might not be the favorite child tomorrow. Oh, you know, it's, you know, it's actually Casey. <laughs> Depending on how they're behaving. So, and these wines are, they're not, we're not making Coca-Cola, right? That's the joy of, of what we're trying to do here. The joy and the sorrow, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's frustrating at times. It's uh, sleepless nights at times, but that is when you, when it comes together in the glass and you can taste the year and you can taste the decisions that were made in a, in a given year and you can taste Niagara, and you can taste Vine Mount Ridge, you know, that's, geez, that's the whole reason we're doing this. It's just, it's, it's beautiful when it, when it comes together, and every, every one of them are, they're beautiful wines. It, it's just, they're different. You, you know, before it, it, Andre and I give our, uh, pass our judgment yeah, yeah, on yeah. them, <laughs> Casey, I just have a quick question for you. Uh, are we still hey, now dealing, you're so telling me dealing... which one of my kids is the most beautiful? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. We're going to start passing judgment on them too. Um, but, but Casey, a quick question for you: um, uh, Are we are we dealing apples to apples here, as in thirty percent whole cluster as well? That goes back to Andre's earlier question. Or have you have you upped the um, the whole cluster in the 2017? It's pretty much apples to apples. Um, that's why we wanted to taste these in this relationship where we're, we're doing the estate, you know, with the estate and the reserve with the reserve 17, no doubt is a very different year from 16. We, we definitely just spent time, uh, covering that for me, whole cluster is an interesting one. I've worked fairly substantially with it in, in different parts of my career outside of Niagara and greenness is definitely something to be very afraid of, but a lot of times with careful handling, the fact that we, we do get into the vineyard, we're, we're literally going through and with the team and basically pointing out the clusters they're allowed to pick and where to cut them and making sure we're getting ripeness. And in any given year, you know, different parts and different blocks are going to perform in different ways, even within the block. So we're, we're choosing very cautiously what we want to put in the fermenter, and then we're handling them in such a way that we're not extracting what we don't want. The, the function of a whole cluster is, yes, to add some complexity and some flavor, but it also does that in a indirect way because it allows us to work with the ferment and work with the cap and, and work with the maceration time on our own schedule. And it's that kind of indirect relationship um, that I think is more beneficial necessarily than the actual flavors of the, the stem. So as long as you're cautious, I think you get that benefit. And 
as we, we move forward through vintages into, as Carolyn was saying, 18s and 19s, we've gotten more aggressive um, as we understand better what we can do with them. So I'm looking at the bottles here, and, and I, I opened them, and then I, uh, like most of us probably have done, we've, you know, inverted the cork and put them in the bottles. And I'm looking at the uh, the cork decision. You have moved from uh, from one style cork to another from 16 to 17. What was the decision on, on that, and what corks have you gone with uh, going forward? Yeah, so obviously people can't see it, but you're, you're referencing where, so the 16 was a, a traditional natural cork. Single piece uh, cork. And, single and, then piece. The, and then the uh, 17 is more of the agglomerate cork. The um, one that composite. they composite, the composite pulled, it to, pulled it apart and put it back together. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's micro-agglomerated cork, of course. There are, to me, some substantial benefits to moving to that cork. One, it's guaranteed TCA-free. Uh, you know, we, we all love wine, and there's nothing more disappointing than opening something that's corked. So that's a, that's a huge hit that really helps us. The other one is, it is natural cork, so let's, let's, let's not say that it's, it's not natural cork. It is high well, they're, all, cork. They're, they're all natural cork product. Let's go with that. Yeah, so it's pulled apart, it's treated for TCA, and it's put back in such a way that we have a much more quick rebound on the cork, uh, which allows a, a quicker and better seal and a more managed movement of oxygen through the membrane. And that is, is essential. It, it helps with bottle variation and it really helps us manage the evolution of the wines as well. I, I really like that. Um, and that's, those are the, the, the big differences for using those corks. TCA is obviously a huge one. And like I said, and then just a much more controlled environment and a much more efficient seal. Uh, and I think that's, that's fantastic. We've also moved, um, which maybe you didn't comment on this, but while we're discussing it, we've also moved from one capsule to another. You'll notice we've moved to a, a proper tin capsule. Again, some people discount the impact capsules have, uh, but you know, a proper fit, proper produced capsule or, or wax or whatever it is uh, also has an impact on the way your wine ages because it is ultimately another seal. Um, and we've, you know, continued to try and evolve that so that we're getting just great, consistent, evolving wines uh, because as much as we love people drinking our wines today, we want to make sure that we can, we can continue to evaluate them, you know, as years go on and understand and confidently tell people you know when to drink them and how to enjoy them and everyone's bottles are the same so uh, i'm guessing the composite corks are, are diams because uh full disclosure um since i've broken my wrist i didn't actually get to open my bottles my wife has to open all the wines in the house for me and uh <laughs> she opened them as i was running in the door from news talk 1010 to come and record this podcast and if you're using diams uh what how how what is the age statement you've got on the diams so this particular cork is not a diam okay uh, just to, to put it out there but it is uh it is a similar um product for sure um we definitely know that these are going to be fantastic for five years and we're going to get really consistent evolution for that um, and then beyond that, obviously, like any natural product, you're going to see degradation, um, and that's that's perfectly fine. But a natural cork is going to move much quicker, and we all know the stories of people uh, recorking, uh, you know, great Grand Cru wines and uh, you know, great rare bottles. So we're we're trying to avoid that. Okay, so Andre, I guess we should uh, we should have a say because uh, I know that uh, Carolyn gave her description of the wines, um, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, what I really found interesting uh, was you had mentioned the heat of 16 and the, uh, the alcohol mentioned on the bottle. Uh, tasting between these two wines, I don't know why, uh, but I got a little alcohol heat off of the 16 that I did not get off of the 17. I'm going to start there, and then I'm going to let you uh, come in and comment whether you have something to say or not say. No, I didn't get any any alcohol. I didn't really notice much of a difference in the alcohol between the two, but I thought it was interesting that Carolyn talked about the tension that exists in the the 2017 
as opposed to the the 2016, which is a little bit more relaxed. Because I really found them more inverted. I found the 2016 still has a really beefy kind of uh, earthy presence off the front and it took a little bit of, of swirling to really get that fruit to unlock and uh going back and revisiting it while you and casey were talking about the corks i see that the fruit's really starting to come out of the 2016 but the 2017 just feels so effortless and and relaxed like it's almost like a, a hippie how like floral it is just off the front like floral and cranberry and cherry uh I mean, it's crazy to see how different the difference, how different the vintages are with these side by side. Like just in terms of, um, you know, the I guess just sort of the colors that are coming out of the wines. Well, I, I really, uh, I really enjoyed the seventeen. Uh, and again, I, I, I found there was very little tension in the seventeen. I, I thought it, I, I loved its, its juiciness. I loved uh, the, the dark fruits that came out of it. It has, you know, some typical cranberry, earthy. Uh, Pinot notes, but I really loved that dark fruit, the currants, the the black cherry, the gentle spice, the white pepper. I I I thought the seventeen was just an absolutely gorgeous wine. I find the sixteen to be very very, uh, very very light in its in its in its makeup. Huh, interesting. Uh, more spicy, more cranberry, more typical Pinot versus the seventeen, which I find to be much. It's it's just it's got something more to offer than saying textbook Pinot, this is textbook Pinot ramped up. Uh, and I'm not sure I completely agree, agree, agree with that. Like I found the 16 quite, quite broad in the broad in the shoulders without being overdone. Like it's really nice to see the the restraint in the, the vintage, the vineyard management, the fact that like the alcohol is in check. And even if you were getting a bit of, a bit of heat, it's certainly, you know, it certainly wasn't anything excessive or unusual for the area. And I'm sure in 16, if someone wanted to make, uh, you know, a Sonoma-style uh, Pinot Noir from Niagara, they certainly could have. Um, well, I, I, the thing I'm just saying is the 16 was, was light to me, very light, where the 17 had a little, uh, as you said, broader in the shoulders on the 17, a little bit more. Yeah, but, yeah, but I, said the 16, power, I said the 16 more, um, was broader little, in the shoulders. A little beefier on that one than you you thought on the 16 so yeah, but I, I said the 16 was broader opposite. on the shoulders yeah well i mean there's there's a lot going on with the the 17 but it's sort of like the 16 is an oil painting and the 17 is watercolors to me you know like it's there's a lot going on there's a lot of color there's a lot of, a lot of texture it's just one's a little bit heavier in in uh in the texture i i believe that that uh, that broken wrist has gone to your nose too and your taste buds. Okay, <laughs> Michael. Uh, you can, you, I don't think I don't you can, think you and I are drinking the same wine. You want to look at them and see if your numbers are right there. Yeah, I, I've gone back and double checked it. It's okay, Michael. You're you're wrong, but that's okay. You're allowed nope. to be wrong. So let's move on to the reserve and see if we can agree on that. For God's sakes. Yeah. So yeah. why don't we why don't we see if uh, that opinion holds through into the reserve? So, so what makes say- what makes it reserved? Let's start there. I think I asked that about the Chardonnay. Yeah, you did. So um, the same philosophy we discussed last time applies to the reserve Pinot. Again, it's something where we're looking for the purest expression of the vintage and the vineyard. So it's not necessarily the newest barrels or it's not necessarily the most balanced barrels. It's the ones that we feel reflect best the vineyard and the vintage in all the best attributes so same with the shard that's that's how we make up the uh that's how we make up the blend so it's not a vineyard selection it's a barrel selection i'm going to assume yeah it's kind of both because the the barrels are already vineyard selections right so we so because we pick by block and sometimes by row and then decide, and then we're vinifying separately. Uh, things get put into barrel from different blocks, and so so there's a bit of vineyard and a, and a bit of barrel. Yeah, so it's the best best performing parts of the vineyard and the best performing barrels from those portions each vineyard or each vintage, excuse me. But also, I would say it's not just. It's not just not just about the best of the best. It's um, it's also how does the best get along with the other best? 
So you know we do we do a lot of uh, we do a lot of blending. We, we kind of work through all the barrels, then pick the the ones, try them in different th that we're liking or we're getting something distinctive, uh, and then we're looking for something that complements another barrel. Maybe doesn't overpower something that's elegant or beautiful or floral in uh, you know in a, in a different barrel. So it's a real uh, composition uh, process in terms of how how it comes together on the on the reserve, and then we're and then we're we're also looking for how is it going to evolve. So the reserves we are thinking about age uh, and how it's going to affect uh, the they they're really the it's like the pret-a-porter line versus the. Uh, you know, the uh, courtier line. So uh, we're looking at them to to age as well, and what the how they might evolve differently than than what's in the estate. And, and then we're going to be looking still at the thirty percent whole cluster. We're going to be still looking at wild ferment. We're looking at wild mallow. Are we looking for any uh, any longevity in barrel, or does it stay the same? Nope, that stays pretty much consistent. Uh, we try and keep the process, barring you know particularly crazy circumstances, very similar. Because again, we're trying to express as best the place, the part of the vineyard, the nook, the 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 cranny, the portion that's performing, and we want to see how all of them paint. We spoke to this last week, and you alluded to it earlier. We're young, we're learning, and it's important for us to hold every piece of that vineyard to account so we can learn and understand. So one of the decisions we make is we try to handle our pinots and our shards, obviously different as they may be, as similarly as possible to make sure they're expressing the place that they have. So Andrew, you're allowed to talk now. I'm going to give you permission, although you're wrong most of the time. I give you permission to talk. Yeah, says the guy who won't spend more than $20 on a bottle of wine while we're reviewing, like, Top Shelf Pinot. Anyways. Uh, no, this, this, and uh, your point being here is? Nothing. No point. Talk. I'm just busy enjoying the 2016 Pinot right now before I get on to the 2017. Um, no, I don't really have any questions. Just listening to what's being said about how the, how the wine's being made. It's interesting just how much quicker the... Um, the, the fruit is jumping out of the 2016 reserve versus the 2016 um, uh, versus the 2016 estate. And this is where we go for silence. Uh, I yeah, guess. It's, uh, it's, it's challenging on uh, radio. The, uh... <laughs> <laughs> to, to know when to talk next. So, we've, all, we've all got big smiles on our face, but they can't see it. Yeah. So... Carolyn, you, you uh, again, we're, we're going to talk children here, obviously. Uh, yeah. First of all, uh, let's talk to both of you uh, on this one. Do you have a vintage between 16 and 17, and not specifically about the wines? I'm just talking about the vintage itself. I'm talking about, the, you know, the, the hot climate versus or the, the hot year versus the cooler into a hot uh, fall. Uh, was there a vintage that was easier, better, that you enjoyed more than the other? Well, if you're going to stick with the uh, with the metaphor about children, mm -hmm. then we're going <laughs> to we're going to have a conversation about the child that was the problem child, uh, you know, that you worked with that became your star, and uh, you know, and that's that's the 17 for me that you know we we had moments of despair in 17 in terms of what what we were dealing with uh in in the vineyard and uh and we you know so making some very tough decisions and uh working our way through it having some very frank conversations um, but really not at, at moments, not knowing how it was going to all turn out. And then we had that fantastic September and October that just made the, made the year. And so just like, just like a child that, you know, was maybe a bit of a handful, um, you know, it, it came, they came through in the end. 
I have I have a saying and it with with children that I like them to have to have a whole lot of extra personality when they're young because the world has a way of wearing off the edges on people. And uh, so so a Pinot year like 17 was wearing the edges off of us. And uh, but I think it produced a, a beautiful wine. You know, I love that you referred to 2017 as a as a Pinot year. Because 2017 was the, the first year that I had a chance to work with some Pinot where we made the When Pigs Fly Rosé with um, with fruit from Ridgepoint. And yes, I, I've had some. It's a be- it's a gorgeous, it was a gorgeous wine. I yeah, just, the 17 on the Pigs Fly, i got to come jumping in here, Andre, was absolutely one of the best Pinots I tried that year. But, but, but it's so. funny. For, so for the people who are listening to this podcast who aren't in the wine industry, when that fruit showed up at the crush pad for us to work with, uh, and that was late September, like we weren't even into October, um, it, it was already starting to fall apart. Like we were lucky to get the fruit that we got to to work with in 2017. And granted, the quality of the wines is outstanding. And to call it a Pinot year is, it's really amusing because like holding the finished product in your in your hands is one thing, but to know the struggle it takes to get that fruit off the vine, like you know, you're not talking like when you're talking about a Pinot year, you're not talking about a dump truck of grapes showing up on your crush pad. No, that's right. We had we had there was nothing easy about that year. It, there just wasn't, and uh, you know, the, we we had we had a, a bit of fruit that was uh, that was starting to break down, and uh, you know, we we went through and and dropped some fruit on the ground. We, you know, and then and then things dried up, and it it came through fine. So it like it it, it was a good year to be picking by hand, I'll tell you, because we had to we really had to bob and weave all the way through September to, uh, to bring it home. But I, I think I, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, it was what, it was well into October when we were, when we were picking. So I, I noticed that on the reserve wines, you actually mentioned the amount of cases you make. And in the 16, you, uh, made 300 cases, which is a respectable amount of, of a reserve. Uh, but then in 17, you drop a, a hundred cases to 200. Uh, and right. that speaks, I guess, to how much fruit had to be left on the ground. That's right. That's exactly right. So some very, very tough decisions in terms of the and You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to talk money, but you know, <laughs> that's money. <laughs> when you see those grapes, being dropped on the ground it's like looking at five dollar bills littered all over the all over the vineyard if only it were five dollar bills right if if only they were just just collect those i would be on my hands and knees picking them up believe me but you know it doesn't work that way and so when you know when people talk about a 45 dollar bottle of pinot um is it worth it from niagara i i say yes I so think was it's worth the, a lot more than that. Was the idea maybe because you made such so little in comparison versus sixteen to seventeen? You know, a hundred cases is 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 still quite a bit of wine uh, left on the ground, so to speak. Uh, was the idea maybe we should charge a few dollars more, or you were like, you know what, we've stuck with this forty four ninety nine price point on the sixteen, we're going to stick with it on the seventeen and and just ride it out. That's it. I we're uh, our our pricing. We don't charge. If we charged what it actually costs us to make some of our wine, and and when we started in 2012 with our first vintage, uh, the, we we wouldn't be here. You know, we we're our our view on this is that our wines represent exceptional value, and and we want to reward our customers. Uh, that find us and under and that understand what we're doing um, and and enjoy what we're doing and want to be along for that ride. We're not we're not trying to be the most expensive wine in Canada. We're trying to be the the absolute best wine in Canada and uh, and and we'll keep our prices as close as we can to to what people view as reasonable because we we're just that's what we're trying to do. So Casey, I got one more question for you, and sadly, it's it's I've lost it now. 
It's part of getting old, right? <laughs> but but um, I, I guess it has to do with uh, with making the reserve wines. Um, like, and, and I guess making all the wines that you have are are you the sole decider on what finally gets into the bottle, or do you bring the family into it, or what's what's the process to finally go? Yep, that's either the blend or what we're going to go with. Good question. Thanks. I'm <laughs> You're welcome. And I'm I'm an arm's length away from Casey right now. We're not social distancing enough. <laughs> to hit him. <laughs> no, like it's it's 100% a collaborative effort from from the start to the finish. And I think to say 100% I choose what goes into the bottle discounts all the work that everyone does up until the grapes exist and the wine is made and it ultimately goes into a bottle. So to say, um, you know, I'm downstairs stylistically defining the world is, is incorrect. But beyond that, from a wine perspective, yeah, we, we, we definitely host new vintage tastings. We taste through the cellar together. Uh, we're fairly open as far as, you know, even, you know, other people we're, we're very friendly in that way. And, and we all work together to understand what we want and where we want to define our, our, our wines. And obviously, I'm fairly new to this this business. So realistically, you know, Carolyn's had an absolutely huge hand in the way that the styles have evolved and understanding the vineyard, where they come from, how they behave, and, and ultimately, you know, where we think those wines are going to go in the future as far as evolution and cellaring. So, no, it's it's... Yeah, I I definitely have a hand as that is, you know, by definition, my job to make wine, but it is something we do collaboratively throughout the team. And like I said, I, I definitely don't want to discount, you know, a lot of very important decisions being made by many people from the vineyard forward uh, as well. That's uh, Casey's very eloquent way of saying that I'm old because I've uh, I've tasted a lot more wine than he has. <laughs> Experience is what I'm doing. I, I I didn't take that from that, but okay. It's funny. I don't, I don't mince words when I'm talking about all the wines Michael's tasted. I just remind him that he's old. <laughs> I've also tasted a lot more older wines than Andre. Andre's more of a fresh wine kind of guy. But that's been. Yeah. One of the I I like older vintages. Just to, I think it's all a, a learning experience yes. that that we have to go through. Uh, taste old wines, taste young wines, and then you get an idea of, you know, where, your, one, your palate sits, and two, what happens to older wines. Oh, are you trying to seduce me, Mrs. Robinson? Yeah. <laughs> I do have a lot of old wine. That's, uh... Andre, oh, maybe, let's maybe, talk about yeah, these maybe, two, uh, <laughs> two reserves. Uh, I am going to, I'm, I'm going to start this one. Uh, oh, but because... I, I, I want to throw something out there just real quick before, before sure? you get too into it is, uh... When Carolyn was talking about the tension in the 2017, I think that's, I'm, I'm really glad she said that about the estate because I feel that's the perfect word to describe the 2017 reserve. Now, see, these are, these are my, uh, the 17s are my style of Pinot. Uh, I, I really love the estate and the reserve. Um, the, the 16s, I, I, for a hot vintage, and I, and I, and I credit, you know, Casey and the winemaking, I'm going to call the team, uh, just to make, uh, Casey feel better about it. Uh, but I, I, I credit them. They've, they've made in 16 in a hot vintage, they have made what I would consider to be very typical Pinot Noir. Uh, whereas 17, they seem to have a little more oomph to them. And for Pinot, uh, I, I like a little more oomph, not a California-style Pinot. Uh, this is definitely not a California-style Pinot because the acidities on all of them are, are off the chart uh, and really balance out, out that. But I really love that 17 reserve over the 16, which I find to be very good, very textbook Pinot. But that 17 huh. just gives me a little bit extra that I like. I really like. I'm like, wow, that's... 
that's something I'm 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 digging and I'm looking forward to seeing the mage. I'm really surprised to hear you say that because uh, when I'm tasting the 16 and the way the fruit, like the the ripe cherry notes, just kind of leap out of the glass to me, it reminds me a lot of uh, some of the mercuries that I've been drinking recently. And I thought for sure you would have gravitated to that. Gravitated to that, like uh, you know, there's See, good I find the 17 more mercury, more heavy, more rich, more more ballsy, and I I find the 16 to be pepino there's no doubt about it just a lighter version very typical version whereas the 17 gives me that mercury edge but i find like the 17 is just like it's 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 both both of the 17s are just incredibly floral and i'm just i'm having a hard time like busting the flowers out of my glass to get to that fruit which is not a problem because i really love me my floral pinots it's one of the reasons why i i love the pinots from like Vine Mount Ridge and, and Twenty Mile Bench is they just tend to skew a little bit more, more floral depending. You on are on painkillers though. Am I correct on that? No, I'm not on. I haven't been on painkillers for two days. I mean, I I, I fell down the stairs, but I'm off the painkillers. Well, they they have a while to get through your system. I just want you to know that. You know, I'm starting to wonder if maybe the labels were swapped on our bottles and someone is just screwing with us because we agreed so spot on with all the Chardonnay. Yeah, we were dead on in the Chardonnay, the Pinots. I guess Pinot really is, uh, you know, one of those grapes that is 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 not only polar, you know, it's a heartbreak grape, but it's such a polarizing grape. People like certain or different things in their Pinot. And uh, you just, uh, now I catch the 16 as light and I catch the 17 as heavy. You almost see them completely different. I do see yeah. them. I do see them completely different. So, I don't, so I don't know. So I've got a question for you guys about. Uh oh, that, that was that was a, a downfall last time. But go yeah. ahead, let's see this one. Am I on mute? No, you're not. No. We, uh, uh, my, no. Michael just has a bad habit got, of talking over everyone. Anyways, go ahead, Carolyn. I got, I got a question for you guys in terms of as you've been reviewing all these uh, all the pinots from Niagara uh, or Ontario, and I'm, I'm sure you're including Prince Edward County in there as well. Um, it, 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 can we have a discussion about typicity? You know, do we do we have a, a definition of you, you know when you're when uh, Michael when you're saying that's that's Pinot, you know that tastes like Pinot. That's a Vine Mount Ridge Pinot. That's a, a Twenty Mile Bench. Um, you know, has more floral. That, those those kind of of words. Like as as we're taking and the, and the reason I'm asking this question is. We're, we're taking our wines uh, now around the world, right? So we've, we've been in, we're in, we're in the UK, we're in uh, Singapore, we're in Tokyo, we're in Barbados, we're heading into Oslo and Helsinki. At, at, least, the, at least the wines can travel these days. The wine, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we got them on some flights out of here before everything hit the fan. But um, so... And, and what I'm finding quite interesting in the dialogues with people from, from around the world are, you know, they want to compare us to something, right? So they, you know, the, the UK folks are, you know, want to compare us to Burgundy. Um, or, but they say, well, you, but you're New World, so why don't you taste like California? Or why don't you taste like uh, Oregon or New Zealand? You know, you're... You don't taste like those wines. That your Pinot doesn't taste like that, or your Chardonnay doesn't taste like that. Uh, you taste more like this, but you're not. You're not there, you know. So I'm, I'm just curious whether you're developing any themes around typicity of of what what is it? And and we we are so fiercely proud to be making wine in Niagara, in Ontario, in Canada. And um, and and we don't we don't necessarily know where it's going in terms of we, we listen to our vineyard and, uh, you know, we're inspired. Our 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 roots are Canadian. Our our our, you know, the DNA is is partially from France. Right? They're all Dijon clones that are in here. But the terroir, the air, the the microbes, everything are Vine Mount Ridge and 20 mile bench and so what does that mean in terms of what we should be ex so, how we should be expressing ourselves if, through these varietals through pinot and chard what is the typicity so, uh, so first, first of all i absolutely 
I, I hate that uh, the VQA has shoved the word typicity into our into our lexicon. Uh, and Andre, no, I've had many a conversation with Andre about this typicity thing uh, because it stops our winemakers from, you know, really being creative because they have to go in front of the VQA panel and they have to show typicity. And if they don't show typicity, then guess what? It gets, you know, it, it fails uh, VQA. Uh, when VQA is actually all about uh, where it's from, that's all VQA is supposed to be. It's not about a tasting panel. It's about uh, the origin of the grapes. So if those grapes come from Ontario and you can prove it, you can say, here's, you know, here we are, here's Ontario. This is, this shows you that I, I actually harvested them in Ontario and you should be able to do what you like with those grapes and let the market decide. Uh, in Italy, they have that DOC and DOCG. The G means that it's guaranteed, and that and it goes in front of a tasting panel. But for VQA, everything goes in front of the tasting panel, which doesn't allow anybody uh, any kind of wiggle room. When I talk about a typical Pinot, it, it means that when I taste it, I can say, yes, that's a Pinot based on what I know about the Pinot grape variety earthiness, cranberry, sour cherry, you look at the color, I could be wrong, but 90% of the time, I'm going to be right, that it's probably a Pinot. And does uh, does Ontario have a a, a typicity? I wish, I, I hope we, we don't. I, I think we make our own style of Pinot. We compare it to oh. Burgundy because, you know, we have to compare it to something. Uh, we definitely don't make California because we have, you know, lots and lots and lots of acidity. And that's what makes Ontario cool climate. And we just have to, as with the uh, I4C, we have to tell people that we are cool climate. California is warm climate. We make completely different styles of Pinot. So yeah, you... it's the climate for sure is a, is a component of it that, it's also the soils. It's also the yeasts. You know, we're now talking. Oh yeah, because it's yeast. all it's all about wild fermentation. Like I, I get that. I just wish the VQA would have taken typicity as a word out of our lexicon so that we don't talk about it because it really kills. And I and I say this for Casey and all the other winemakers that are in Ontario. It really takes your your hand out of it because you know that you have to go through that VQA panel and you have to make sure that it's going to, it's going to taste just so. Uh, and I know that many, many, many years ago, Southbrook had a, a Pinot that they made in that very barnyard uh, style, that oh, very yeah. funky uh, yeah. burgundy style. And it failed VQA every single time it went and they just sold it as is because that's the kind of Pinot that, you know, when they worked on the farm, that's the kind of Pinot that they wanted. And they finally said, screw it. We're not going through VQA anymore uh, and, and, and took that risk. And, I, and, you know, if that's the kind of Pinot you'd like to make, then you should have the hand to make that style. But VQA takes that out of your hand and says you have got to follow can you get off your soapbox? Like that's not the question she asked you. Like I know that well, you hate. I know of, that but, you but hate the word typicity. She, I suddenly get on the soapbox. Yeah, it's just you I hate that word. That word. That word like triggers you like a millennial gets triggered by everything. Um, I mean, the, the, the question that that Carolyn asked was like, has Ontario defined its own style? And unfortunately, no, she used not. the word typicity. No, so, uh, we haven't. No. And, and 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 we have not defined that style. Okay, Michael. 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 People are talking. Let me let me get my opinion in. You got Look, on your soapbox. The adults box. are talking, Andre. Can we please talk? <laughs> okay. So to answer Carol to answer Carolyn's question, in in my opinion, I think that uh, Ontario as a, as a region as a whole, whether it's Lake Erie, North Shore, or Prince Edward County, is still just too young, and we still haven't quite figured out where we're at because so many things were planted, and there were so many things that could be done decently whether we're talking about trius red being made down at, at niagara or cabernet franc or eculus um versus some of the pinots whether it's coming from uh five rows or coyotes run rest in peace and hidden bench and 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 all of these other great wineries um i i think the best pinot and the best chardonnay that are coming from niagara and the most interesting are coming from wineries and winemakers that have their face firmly looking into the eyes of, of Burgundy. 
and 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 those are the ones that I think are are, are exciting. The sommeliers in the city in in Toronto, I, I think that's what are exciting people who really love wine. And I also understand it's it's dangerous when you're chasing a, a consumer while you're trying to define your define your identity. But I I think that Ontario is on the right track and looking to Burgundy, I think is a good idea. Yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly the message that we're getting. And, and I, I posed it in the context of our international buyers, right? So, and how do we position ourselves on the, on that world stage? And um, I, I think, I think I'm, I'm going to agree. I, I, I get the trigger word. I should have, I, I should have used a different word. I'm sorry for that, Michael. I hope you're okay. <laughs> Um, I'm but, just sitting uh, in the corner sucking my thumb. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll try to find a different word because I, I really wasn't thinking about BQA. I, I, I'm not I'm not focused on that. We're making the we, we're making wines that we love, and and that and we hope that people that try our wines also also love them, and you know that that lo- love them for similar reasons. But um, I I think it is somewhere in that in that Andre that. Uh, we're 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 an old world style in a new world in a new world location, and uh, I, whether that's got to do with the the soil, uh, you know, we we've got a we've got those ancient seabeds coming up in into our into our vineyards, the clay loam over that. We've got uh, we've got a lot of similar. We've got far more similarities to Burgundy than we do to any other wine region in the world. And so I, I think there is an element of that, that it, it, it's going to be in it. But how we define our style that is uniquely Canadian and Ontarian and Niagara within that, it, it also comes back to the points that you made around, around it's a community. It, it's winemakers. It's, you know, um, talking to each other. It's what are you experiencing? How's this working um, you know, there's a lot of collaboration in uh, in the winemaking community here, and I think you know I think back to the early days when when we created Westcott Vineyards. Uh, Thomas Batchelder was hugely influential in in terms of our starting days. He was unbelievably kind in terms of uh, of, of assisting us in. Uh, in getting to understand what this what this vineyard could produce based on his experience with the Leclos Jordan vineyards uh, adjacent, he was the winemaker there at the time, and uh, you know it's it's that type of uh, it's that type of community. It, it take uh, you know it takes a vil- village to raise a child. I think it takes a village to produce a, an excellent Pinot or an excellent Chard, and and we're still. We're still young. We're still we're still figuring it out. Um, I, I think we're going to, you know, hopefully our kids will will benefit from some of the decisions that that uh, Grant and I are, are making here today because I, I'm not sure that we'll necessarily see it in our in our lifetime the the, the payback on on some of these decisions. But I, I think it is uh, I, I, the the other part of that is that international community. They love that story. They they love it. They love the, you know, the, when you talk to the the winemakers in Burgundy, the best they can hope for is to maybe match a a, a vintage that was iconic. You know, they, they they're they're all challenged by uh, by the past and uh, and Ontario and Niagara. We don't have we don't have any of that baggage i mean we we the world is our world is ahead of us and uh you know the the opportunities are are still ahead of us in terms of the wines that we're going to produce and i i just wish that more uh, more people in ontario kind of understood that and and would come down and and visit us and and try our wines and and explore a little bit more in terms of, of what's really going on down here. Well, they can at the moment, so that's... Huh. Uh, I know. So, so the it's best t- thing they can do is, is order up your wine online. Yes. So, uh, and we cer- uh, we'll certainly do our best... They to, should be doing that. We'll certainly do our best to get more people to come down there, and I, I completely get the frustration about laying the laying the groundwork, but, I mean, let's just think about it. The Sagrada Familia is still not finished, and that's probably Gaudi's greatest masterpiece. 
That's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, true. What, a, what a sobering thought, by the way, that, that Carolyn and, and Grant will not be, be with us when we finally hit our stride. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if they're telling us they have COVID now or... Uh, and this podcast yes, just got crazy. very dark. I hope you have your mask on. That's this, what I'm hoping. This podcast just got <laughs> no, very, very dark. I don't know. I just, I, I do want to add my, my concept or, or my thoughts, you know, in, in this matter, you know, being someone who's reasonably, you know, fresh to having some sort of defining feature, defining control on an estate or on a domain that's attempting to do just that in, in, in exploring and defining the terroir of Niagara, I, I take an interesting position um, as we go through these kind of interviews and, and as we, we express ourselves in the international market, I, I, I'm flattered that our wines are compared to Burgundy. Um, you know, obviously Burgundy is a great inspiration, but I don't want them to be defined as if we're trying to recreate Burgundy. My goal, my concept is to stand on the shoulders of giants, not hide in the shadows of giants. And I, I, I love Burgundy through and through, and it's, you know, guided me in my passion for Pinot and Chard. But one of the things sometimes I get frustrated with, with the industry is do we have enough confidence in ourselves to, to say we're defining Pinot the way our vineyards are expressing it instead of saying, boy, I can't wait to make a Gevray style Pinot or, oh, this vineyard gives me such Pomardian things and it's like the great Grand Cruz of Pomard. But I didn't say, no, it's like the great vineyards of the escarpments, the great vineyards of Vinemount. And I think sometimes we're obviously are young and finding ourselves, but you know, with 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 age and change, we grow in confidence. And that's just sort of my opinion sometimes. Not sometimes. The wine region, we're actually just starting to grow pubic hair, so that's uh that's- <laughs> Oh my god, that's terrible. Andre, you want to take me out of this one? Andre, uh, I really, really like the 17s. I got the feeling you were more of a 16 kind of guy. No, I actually like them both equally. I just think the 17s need a bit more time in bottle. Um, I found that I really had to agitate the 17s in my glass to really push them to reveal some fruit and kind of unlock that complexity. Uh, Originally in the glass, they were quite floral, but I'll I'll have detailed notes at andrewinereview.ca to take a look at. I was actually just really surprised how different it was between the estate and the reserve, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, both versions of, of it, and I found the similarities, obviously, from the 16s, and I, I found the similarities within the 17s. Uh, I just thought it, it just seemed to be a more concentrated version of the first wine. <laughs> that if being that said, it, it might be... A little bit of personal bias, having had an opportunity to work with fruit from the Vinemount Ridge, but the Vinemount Ridge appellation is just... That whole little corner where Pinot and Chard comes from is pretty wonderful. I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just saying that I, I, <laughs> I found... I leaned more 17. I like my Pinots to have a little more oomph. I think you're a little bit of a leaner kind of guy. Although, looking at us both, nobody would ever say that either one of us hey, I'm shrinking, is leaner. Though. I'm shrinking. Anyways. Well, yeah. You you keep you keep thinking that. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast uh, on iTunes. I'm sure you already have if you're listening to this. But why don't you bring a friend next time? Uh, you that we got pretty spicy on that last podcast. We have our moments. Check out our Patreon. Uh, we're more than happy to appreciate any support, whether it's two dollars or five dollars. It does help us keep this going. Uh, we don't have a lot of expenses, but we have to pay for the hosting cost of this. Uh, it does cost a little bit to edit and. Uh, I mean, just keep things going. So any consideration, thank you for that. Uh, I'm Andre Prue from underwinereview.ca. And I'm Michael Pincus of michaelpincuswinereview.com. We'd like to thank you again for listening. And as always, good night. night. Stop it. Stop taking my line. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.